to Stealth Boom Boom, a fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its boom boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin Mahern and joining me on this episode is my boom operator, it's oh, Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him, it's my best boy, it's Josh Wise. <laughs> Hello everyone. A little uh, movie magic, or a magic movie secret for all the listeners. No one on this planet, apart from maybe Steven Spielberg, has any idea what a best boy does. Mm-hmm. They just like the title. It is a good title. But before we chat about the game we're discussing today, we need to get into the right headspace. And that means looking at what was happening in the world on and around the date that today's game came out. So, tonight we're going to party like it's November 2003. Don't know why that was a question. Uh, But it was November 18th, 2003. Two days prior, on the 16th of November, a little 16 year old Argentinian boy made his debut. For Barcelona, his his name was Lionel Messi, and we never heard from him again. <laughs> One day later, California got a new governor, and no, not the ghost Terminator that we spoke about on our Outlast podcast. <sighs> it was the actual Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was very odd. I didn't understand it at the time. I still kind of don't, but it happened. And then on the 20th of November, after 78 episodes, a man now considered an animation legend in Gendy Tartakovsky concluded his first ongoing animated series, the Cartoon Network hit Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, what a show. In music, topping the Billboard charts in America. It was the same song we discussed on our Forbidden Siren episode. It was its eighth uh, week at number one, Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul, which of course, Josh, you sung so beautifully. Yeah, I was going to say, you want me to sing it again, but maybe you should just go and listen to last week's episode. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in the UK, it was a new entry at number one. Three young lads who were doing it two years before Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn, these boys, they crashed the wedding. It was busted. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. In movies, topping the box office in America, it was Peter Weir's Russell Crowe fronted period epic. What a movie. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Meanwhile, in the UK, Cinema Gore's. As discussed on the last episode, still spending their hard-earned cash uh, to be disappointed in the third movie of the sci-fi juggernaut, The Matrix Revolutions. Mm. So that's what was happening around the 18th of November. Uh, But now we must talk about the game we're discussing today in a segment that we like to call Back of the Box. So yes, the game we're talking about today is called Manhunt. A game that will be familiar to many, but maybe not so much to some. So, what is Manhunt? Well, Manhunt is a violent video game 
depending on who you ask, about video game violence. Brackets, and it's also kind of splinter celly. So um, there's, there's that curveball in there as well. Some platforms and release dates then for you. So this first came to PlayStation 2, as mentioned, on the 18th of November 2003 in North America. And then a few days later on the 21st of November in Europe. And then, uh, what would that be, six months later, it came to Xbox and PC, about six months, to North America on the 20th of April 2004 and Europe on the 23rd of April. This then is the part of the podcast where we look at the back of the physical box and what myself, Adam and Josh have in front of us here is the back of the PS2 box. And this is a good one. Now, it's not it's not the best, but it is still... It's good shit. It gives flavour. It doesn't tell you much about the game. And that's what I want. Yeah. Uh, some of the text on the box here. It says, They just killed Cash. Now they want to kill him again. You awake to the sound of your own panicked breath. You must run, hide and fight to survive. If you can stay alive long enough, you may find out who did this to you. Something that's not really tackled in the game, to the best of my knowledge. It does, there's, there's one line here. It says, America is full of run-down, broken, rust-belt towns where nobody cares and anything goes. I guess you get a feel from the game, but it's more explicit on, on the back of the box. Now, in some cases, we do look inside the manual. The manual of Manhunt is so full of character that it's hard to actually pick any one thing out or even, you know, a handful of things. So we are going to talk about the manual, but we're going to talk about that when we get to the marketing because I'm going to tie it into a website that was used to promote the game as well. So now is where I recap the story for you. So Manhunt, well, it takes place in, uh, I mentioned there, the, the Rust Belt City of Carcer City. And in Carcer City, crime is rampant. Uh, one such criminal here is James Earl Cash. And I don't believe we ever find out what he did to get put in prison, but we definitely know he was a, a killer of some sort. That is mentioned. So after being on death row for three years, he's given the lethal injection and sent to sleep permanently. Uh, he's a pretty big time criminal because his execution makes the news. <laughs> but wait, Cash hasn't been executed. No, no, no. That lethal injection was only sedative uh, and he is woken up by the voice of a man that calls himself the director. So this director tells Cash that he will set him free as long as Cash follows the orders of said director and the orders are to violently kill every gang member in Carcer City. The director watches Cash using CCTV around the city and I I could be misremembering here but I think that gradually over over time Cash learns that the director was once a snuff film director. I can't remember if it's here or later on but at some point he learns that. So sidebar, right? And I think an important sidebar for maybe some some youngsters who don't know or just maybe people who don't know, right? Because I suppose it's it's been a while ago. I mean, we didn't live through it. So snuff films, right? They grew in legend in the 70s and 80s. And typically, they're defined as films where someone is actually murdered on camera. Definitions then kind of vary after that. So, some say the produced films have to be sold for cash or entertainment purposes. Some say there has to be like a pornographic or titillating aspect to the films. But 
more or less, that's a snuff film. Someone filming it and somebody actually is is killed. So the director in Manhunt is using James Earl Cash to make his own snuff films as he records Cash brutally murdering Carcer City gang members via the city's CCTV cameras. And a lot of different gang members will mention some of them throughout, but like you have... Uh, quickly, the Hoods, who are just your street-level goons. You have the white supremacist Nazis, the Skins. There's the former soldier militia gang, the War Dogs. There are the gun-toting uh, Innocents, or just called the Innocents. Uh, there is a group that's kind of holds themselves up in an asylum uh, called the Smileys. And there's also a, a group called Cerberus, who are kind of the, the private army of the director, they're just they're just mega cop soldiers in these yeah. for for some reason kill zone fallout masks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Cash makes his way through multiple challenges put in front of him by the director, and it all leads up to this final challenge where, after being called Alice by the director, Cash must follow a man dressed in a white rabbit suit. The rabbit man leads Cash to a room with a load of shotgun wielding smileys. And at this point, the director had planned for Cash to die, meaning it would be the end of the film that the director was making. Cash survives, though, kills the White Rabbit and begins his his, uh, escape. At this point, the director kind of stops being as chatty with uh, James Earl Cash. So the director gets on the blower to the war dogs, the militia gang I mentioned, and he says, look, capture this guy, kill him. Uh, They do capture him, but for some reason, bad guy logic, they then decide to let him go. I don't, I don't know why. I think you're going to talk about that level later on, Josh. But it obviously goes poorly for him and Cash kills all the war dogs, including the, the boss man, Ramirez. Now, at this point, a car pulls up to Cash and in the car is an unnamed news reporter. Uh, I mentioned at the start that Cash's execution, well, execution made the news. Well, this was the woman that was reporting it behind the news desk. She reveals the director's identity to Cash uh, the identity being Lionel Starkweather. Now, some of this is, you need to dig a little bit deeper than just in the game. So Starkweather was once a successful Vinewood movie director, but he had since moved to Carcer after he had a couple of flops and he found there was money in snuff films. Vinewood, of course, is the Grand Theft Auto universe's Hollywood. So Manhunt and Grand Theft Auto and Carcer City and Liberty City and blah, blah, blah. It's all connected in the GTA world, something that Josh is going to talk about, go more in depth later. Uh, But ultimately, Cash tells the journalist to get out of town while he goes looking for Starkweather. Somewhere around here, um, maybe before he and the reporter part ways, Cash learns that Starkweather has the cops uh, uh, helping him out. And I don't know, it kind of gets a bit... um, I don't know. But anyway, Cash has to kill tons of cops. Um, And fast forwarding a little bit, this is where the game introduces a character called Pigsy. Now, Pigsy is an overweight naked man that wears a hollowed out pig's head atop his own as a sort of playful Halloween mask. Yeah, or something. He loves, it. he loves it. Yeah. Just in case you don't get it from the visual aid, he also squeals like a pig <laughs> at times to really embody the character. And he has a chainsaw as well, which I don't think most pigs have. But yeah, Pigsy's a bit cross, basically, because he was Starkweather's star attraction in his snuff films before. And I guess, yeah, maybe he's a bit jealous of Cash now. 
I'm editorialising yeah. slightly, perhaps, <laughs> and he might just be, he might be a bit of a mad lad with a pig on his head. Yeah. Uh, either way, Cash and Pigsy have a battle for the ages. Then, after fighting through the last of Cerberus at Starkweather's mansion, Cash comes face to face with the director, and he chainsaws his guts out, then he lobs off his head, and then he sticks the chainsaw in the director's corpse, just to really hammer home the point. Then a news report from the unnamed journalist reveals that the snuff film ring was discovered by the press after Starkweather's death. Uh, the police's involvement in all of this is also exposed. However, James Earl Cash is nowhere to be seen. Perhaps he will turn up in the sequel. Ooh, Ooh exciting. Little epilogue, right? Very quickly. The journalist's name... Yeah, she does have a name. Oh. It's Robin something. Now, I only know this because there was a audio file on the Manhunt website that I think was even around the time people dug out and they found. And in this audio file, the news report- reporter is talking to a doctor at a mental institution. And you hear that uh, she had suffered a lot since the events of Manhunt. I mean, understandably, you know, you're Mm. seeing people kill each other for the entertainment of others. (laughs) It's going to have a lasting impact. Um, And in these recordings as well, you find out that weeks after Starkweather's death, she was found just like roaming Carcer City, crying and holding a knife. She get a bit more colour on the reporter, which I would say, like, in the game, you get very little, to the point where she doesn't really have a name. Um, But yeah, that's what happens with her. And that is the story of Manhunt. So, the developer, and basically, I'll lump them together, the publisher of Manhunt, the developer, Rockstar North, the publisher, Rockstar Games. So we're talking about one of the biggest developers of all time, biggest publishers of all time. So as I sometimes say for these profiles, ladies and gentlemen, strap in. We go to Edinburgh, Scotland for the developer of Manhunt, as I said, Rockstar North. But actually, no, we need to go a little bit further back and to a different place in Scotland. We need to go to Dundee, Scotland. And the year is 1987 and the developer is DMA Design. So programmer David Jones, along with three other pals, he'd befriended at a local computer club three years earlier, Russell Kay, uh, Steve Hammond and Mike Daly. They had been making games for the Amiga and the Commodore 64. Jones began making a game while in university under the name Acme Software, but he realised a change was in order if he wanted to launch a company for this game. Uh, You won't be surprised to hear Acme had already been taken by Bugs Bunny. I don't know, but it was, you know, it it wasn't available. Uh, So because of that, DMA Design was born. Then... Uh, Jones signed a deal with Liverpudlian developer and publisher Signosis. The first game was called Menace and it was a horizontal scrolling shoot 'em up. It was released in 1988 and it did pretty well with critics and it sold around 20,000 copies, which allowed DMA Design to continue making games. Uh, a couple of games later, in 1990, and Jones was able to bring on DMA Design's first employee, his old pal Mike Daly. And speaking to Now Gamer in 2010 for an article titled History of DMA Design, Daly said, quote, I had just been thrown out of college and didn't know what I was going to be doing. And then all of a sudden I get handed my dream job. My mother thought I was crazy and wasting my time since it was a bedroom industry at the time. But I just didn't care. I was a real developer and was even getting paid. Soon after, the rest of the Dundee Computer Club would also join. 
there are a lot of games over the next couple of years that I'm skimming over. So I apologize if you wanted a breakdown for 30 minutes on Walker or Blood Money, not Hitman. I bloody love Walker. My older brother had it on the Amiga and you play as someone in a robot and the robot's got legs and it walks. So it's called Walker and the robot has a machine gun (laughs) underneath its head and it sort of just goes around killing folk like Robocop. But it's got a really cool opening, and when I was a kid, it made a big impression on me. There you go, listener. You got more on Walker than I had anticipated. <laughs> I'm basically going over a couple of games because I'm trying to get to the developer's first massive breakout hit. February 1991. It was the puzzle strategy game that I think everyone owned on some computer or system or whatever. It launched on the Amiga first, and it was... Lemmings. Oh my God. It came to everything. The first Lemmings would go on to sell somewhere between 15 and 20 million copies. It was a bona fide success and they absolutely jumped on it because later in 1991, they released, oh no, more Lemmings. (laughs) And then there was Lemmings 2, The Tribes. And you had Christmas Lemmings 93 in 1993. Then... In 94, they released all new World of Lemmings and Christmas <laughs> Lemmings 94. Then in 95, you had 3D Lemmings. So yeah, publisher Signosis was keen to strike while the iron is hot. So they just got DMA design. Let's pump out these Lemmings games. A university friend of David Jones and someone who was brought on to work at DMA quite early on, Brian Watson, spoke to Now Gamer in that article I mentioned earlier. And on Lemmings, he said, quote, It was a simple, straightforward idea that was very frustrating to play, but had instant gratification once you'd finally completed a level. It also boasted great replay value and hours and hours of gameplay. And if you got pissed off with it, you got to blow the little fuckers up. Very satisfying. The moment I first set eyes on the initial test demo, I knew it was going to be good. But after a 12-game run with publisher Signosis, DMA Design had to find a new publisher as the Liverpool-based company was acquired by Sony in 1994. The next few years then were a bit up and down. So DMA signed a deal with Nintendo in 94 to make a unicycle racing game called Unirally for the SNES. <laughs> it came out in 95. Uh, Unirally was a success and it led Nintendo to ask DMA Design to develop for their upcoming console, the Nintendo 64. The game they'd work on would uh, ultimately turn out to be Body Harvest, which is an action-adventure game where you must stop an invading alien force. But Nintendo, who were publishing, decided to drop it because they were... Uh, they weren't keen on some of the content in there. Mm. The game did eventually launch in 98 after Midway Games and Gremlin Interactive got on board as publishers. But going back to 95, and this was a fun thing I wasn't aware of, so DMA Design was tasked with creating a Kirby game called Kid Kirby, which would <laughs> launch on the Super Nintendo and use an ill-fated peripheral called the Super NES Mouse. Uh, literally, a mouse you could use with your with your SNES. Uh, poor sales of the mouse led to the Kirby game getting cancelled. So. Very sad. <laughs> In April 95, DMA Design began development on something called Race and Chase. Bad title. It was going to be a top-down, fast-paced multiplayer racing game, and it was almost cancelled multiple times. Speaking to The Guardian in 2013, creative director and producer of the game, Gary Penn, said, quote, It was like trying to nail jelly to kittens. Eventually there were enough hands to hold this team together, but please nobody move because this thing is going to fall apart. That's what it felt like right at the end. 
it was like we just got to put this out now because if we don't it's just going to break again and we've lost it forever while initially going to be a racing game that would feature three different cities and multiple missions it was also going to have pedestrians and you could get out of your car and steal another and the police would give chase after a while they zeroed in on those last few bits and DMA design in November 1997 launched Grand Theft Auto And it spawned a series that did rather well for him. Mm. After GTA, DMA Design was acquired by British publisher and one DMA had already worked with, Gremlin Interactive. They picked DMA up for £4.2 million in 97. And now this started a bit of a chain. And for that reason, I'm going to lump in the publisher of Manhunt, as I mentioned earlier. So firstly, yes, Gremlin bought DMA and DMA continued to put out a couple of games and... Honestly, uh, ones that I'm not going to go too in-depth on because sometimes you just you have to be ruthless. I apologise. If you're looking for deep dives on Space Station, Silicon Valley, Tank Ticks, or Wild Metal Country, unless Josh can give a little tidbit on any of them, I'm very sorry. I'm going to leave it for now. Then, in 99, Gremlin was bought by French games company Infogrom, now Atari, for £24 million. When he left, it's slightly debated from what I could find, but I believe it was around this time that DMA Design founder, David Jones, decided to leave the company. Now, the waters get muddy here. So, when that sale went through, a few assets weren't part of the deal. The biggest being BMG Interactive. BMG Interactive was the game's publishing arm of music label BMG and they had published uh, Grand Theft Auto. And yeah, if I have this right, it does get quite messy. So BMG had a deal in place with DMA Design that a sale of BMG Interactive would include the Grand Theft Auto series. So Take Two took a punt, bought BMG Interactive and acquired the GTA series in the process. In 1997, Rockstar Canada, now Rockstar Toronto, They make the first non-DMA design GTA content, which is the expansion pack for the original GTA, Grand Theft Auto, London, 1969, which was, I even, I remember my cousin bought it, I played it. It was, it was a reskinned GTA that was like very Austin Powers. In December 98, Take-Two establishes uh, Rockstar Games. And in an article for MCV in July 2008, Co-founder Sam Hauser said, quote, It was to be a high-end publishing division of Take-Two, with stated goals to focus on progressive gameplay and high production values, as the company believed that games would come to compete with movies. Rockstar Games were going to publish the GTA sequel, aptly titled Grand Theft Auto 2 which was released in October 1999. Similar to the first game, it did well in sales and it was received pretty well by critics as well. But it's not like it was this massive game changer or anything. But rather than just continue publishing games for DMA Design, prior to GTA 2's launch, Take-Two Interactive decided to just buy the developer from Infogrom. The deal was done in September 1999 and, I mean, what a steal. They bought... DMA design for $11 million. I could afford that. After the acquisition, Take-Two brought the hammer down somewhat. Long-time developers like ones I mentioned in Russell K, Steve Hammond, Mike Daly, they were all showing the door. And multiple games and ports that DMA were working on were canned. Take-Two and the new Rockstar Games was going to get DMA design to work on something called the Grand Theft Auto Online Crime World and something else called GTA 3D. 
So while they were maybe a little early on that online crime world, the latter would propel GTA into like this whole other stratosphere. So speaking to Games Radar in September 2022, head of development Aaron Garbus said the team were keen to move the series to 3D and after prototyping on the Dreamcast, they got the green light. On Grand Theft Auto 3's legacy, Garbus said, quote, I think GTA 3 was one of a few games that helped build the genre. It showed us the first glimpse of what was possible. A lot of games are roller coasters with the player in the front seat, a world and an experience tailored for the player like the Truman Show. We are all about making the player feel like part of a complex whole, like there is no one way to play or exist in our worlds, that our narrative adjusts to how the player plays and our world responds. So prior to GTA 3's launch, it was apparently offered to Microsoft as an Xbox exclusive. They turned it down because of its adult-orientated content, Now, it would eventually come to the Xbox, but two years after its initial release on PlayStation 2 in October 2001. I'm going to tell you something you already know. It was a success. It was the best-selling game of 2001 and the second best-selling game of 2002 behind a game I'll mention in a second. And by March 2003 well shy of two years on sale it had sold 14 and a half million copies worldwide it would be the final game developed by DMA Design because they were renamed Rockstar North now I said GTA was the second best selling game in 2002 and that is because Rockstar had Rockstar North back in the development minds in order to quickly craft a follow up Hmm. and they did that in nine months and it became the best-selling game of 2002, and that game was Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Outrageous. Uh, it was initially going to be an expansion for GTA 3, but the team decided to flesh it out to make it its own game. It was GTA 3, but flashier. This time they had Hollywood actors to voice characters. Uh, it was the most expensive Rockstar North game, um, slash DMA design game at that time, coming in at $5 million. As you're aware, I could include quotes upon quotes, but this one from executive producer Sam Hauser in an interview with Edge in 2012. It pretty much sums up how they felt about the game. He said, quote, You know, you're shooting in the dark and speculating, but when people get it, you're like, wow, that's fucking cool. It's not just us tossing our own selves off. People actually get it. Indeed they do. Uh, By March (laughs) 2008, the game had sold 17.5 million units worldwide. Then... The next game, after selling all those games, the next game Rockstar North would work on was Manhunt. We'll obviously speak about it more in depth as we go on, but I found one thing that I thought was worth mentioning. So in 2007, so four years after the game comes out, a former Rockstar employee took to their blog in order to give a breakdown of their experiences working at the company. And in it, they spoke about working on Manhunt. And this is what they said. Quote, It may sound surprising, but there was almost a mutiny at at the company over that game. It was Rockstar North's pet project. Most of us at Rockstar Games wanted no part of it. We'd already weathered plenty of controversy over GTA 3 and Vice City. We were no strangers to it, but Manhunt felt different. With GTA, we always had the excuse that the gameplay was untethered. You never had to hurt anybody that wasn't a bad guy in one of the missions. You could play completely ethically if you wanted and the game was parody anyway, so lighten up. Manhunt though just made us all feel icky. It was all about the violence and it was it, it was realistic violence. We all knew there was no way we could explain away that game. 
There was no way to rationalise it. We were crossing a line. That's just not true either, by the way. In, in the storyline of Grand Theft Auto 3, you kill multiple people, including uh, reporters and people who are trying to whistleblow on corrupt cops. And st- That's just not true, but, but whatever. Manhunt was announced at E3 2003, and after a small delay, it came out in November 2003. And that is the story of Rockstar North and a bit of Rockstar Games up until the launch of Manhunt. So sales-wise then, we will be talking about certain stories related to the game's sales later on in the show, but to make a long story slightly shorter for this section, Manhunt didn't have a launch that rivaled GTA by any stretch. In its first month on sale in America, it sold 75,000 copies. And the best I have for you is that as of March 2008... Rockstar Games' parent company, Take-Two, noted that the Manhunt franchise, both Manhunt and Manhunt 2, had sold 1.7 million copies. Mm. And that is the most up-to-date numbers I have on Manhunt. Uh, Critical reception, then, of this one. On PlayStation 2, it has a Metacritic score of 76, while on PC, it has a Metacritic score of 75. And that is your Manhunt Back of the box. So, we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about the marketing and press coverage of Manhunt. But during our break, dear listener, you will be listening to the audio from Manhunt official trailer number two. And then we will be back after you've listened to that. We will be back to talk about it. Earl Cash, found guilty and sentenced to death, has been on death row for the past three years and was executed last night. You've had an unexpected reprieve. Do exactly as I say, and I promise this will be over before the night is out. All right, then, let us chat, firstly, some marketing of Manhunt. And this, Manhunt, official trailer number two, you get an introduction into the James Earl Cash character and what's happening with them and the fact that they're on death row. And you learn that there is a Scottish man putting on an American accent who is seemingly, is he your handler? Is he, what is he to you? You don't know, I think, in this trailer. If you had seen this, Adam, as a young man in 2003, what would your thoughts have been? And I guess compare them to your thoughts in 2023. It would have done nothing for me. The, the trailer is quite, it's quite dull. Like it, set, it sets the mood, but really, what, what's, what's it about? Like what's, what, what am I doing? There is a sense of mystery, I guess, but overall, it doesn't really show a whole pile. I, I remember being a bit like... Uh, looking at this trailer back in the day, wondering what the hell Manhunt was at like at the time. We just had three, we just had Vice City, and it was like, oh, it's definitely the and sort of state of emergency, but that wasn't made by Rockstar. But like anything with the Rockstar logo on it, you were automatically like, oh, what the fuck? And I do remember the cover. Like people just like didn't know. Well, like obviously it looks fucked up, it looks nasty, but there was just that kind of confusion of like, 
Okay. All right. Fair enough. One aspect of the trailer is, you know, it introduces the kind of the video overlays and kind of CCTV and you're like, oh, what's what's happening here? And that ties into another aspect of the marketing, which is the Valiant Video Enterprises website. This, and I mentioned the manual as well earlier, the manual of the game also had a bit of this. So this website was a fake website for Lionel Starkweather's production company, I suppose, that was making snuff films in Carcer City. When you clicked on this website, back in the day it said like, this site is for adults only and contains disturbing material. If you are under the legal age, you must leave now. In order to enter, you must read, (laughs) understand and agree to the following term. It it says members only. It's kind of all official. And there's like username and password. But if you just ignore that and you just click log in, it takes you into the website where you see fetish, hardcore and brutality, videos made to order. And there's like, uh, there's there's an email address, Mr. Nasty at valiant-ent.tv for pricing and inquiries. But I was able to find an IGN article that was posted around this time that reported on the website. And there's an excerpt from this article as well that Josh is wonderfully going to read out for all of us. So, quote. The site provides gamers with a feel of what's to come in Manhunt. Small grainy videos show nearly indistinguishable humans walking or running as shown from security cams. The third video shows a single person watching as a second man beats another with what appears to be a billy club or a stick. The site is filled with curious postings from people with dislikable obsessions, such as sadomasochism, eating human organs and the like. And the like. <laughs> for instance, for instance, a posting on its phony message boards from a guy named Ravaged Skulls, spelt with lots of numbers and letters, reads... Uh, 15 seconds of pool of tears were worth every penny. Thank you. Another post on the fake message board links to an actual sale of a tactical liner lock knife, which was auctioned on eBay. Another message asks members, quote unquote members, to discuss crotchless male thongs, which is then followed by people swearing at each other. All the while... A looped, thumping soundtrack beats in the background. I mean, it sounds like a trip. Yeah. And it sounds like early noughties marketing. But I I quite enjoy a fake website and I quite enjoy taking the world of Manhunt and bringing it into our world. Like, I'm a fan of those types of marketing campaigns. Definitely. And like nobody does it quite like Rockstar does it. Then there's an IGN article here, but it's it's kind of... uh, well, basically, we have a link to an IGN article of the Manhunt E3 2003 press release. And this was sent out by Rockstar shortly after they announced the game at E3 2003. And it does read very weirdly, but this quote that Adam is going to read out, IGN attributes the entirety of it to Rockstar Games and what they put in the press release. So this is from the press release. Quote, Manhunt will continue in the tradition of world-class gameplay, incredible production values and sardonic sense of humour that has become synonymous with Rockstar North. Details surrounding the game remain shrouded in secrecy. To date, Rockstar has only admitted this. 
Manhunt explore the depths of human depravity in a vicious, sadistic tale of urban horror. So I don't know, because it seems odd that Rockstar would say, <laughs> to date, Rockstar has only admitted this, but that is what this article from 2003 says. Mm. Sure. So we move on to some pre-launch press coverage. And this first article... Um, posted on IGN titled Manhunt The Story was posted on the 30th of September 2003 and in this co-writer James Worrell was asked about how the game's story plays out Worrell said quote The cutscenes in our 200 page scripts tell the story but a significant chunk is told through the ever-present comments of Starkweather as Cash makes his way from scene to scene Now we will talk about the story Mm. I have no idea where that 200-page script went. I have no idea, because it's certainly not in the game. Maybe a lot of it is just stage directions and telling people what the camera angles are doing. Perhaps. Uh, A few more quotes from this article. Co-writer and lead character designer Alan Davidson said, quote, We wanted to create a fucked-up game using AI-controlled gangs (laughs) hunting the player, and it all snowballed from there. Isn't that that enough interviews? (laughs) with developers where they just swear willy-nilly. Well, I fucking tell you no. Oh, brilliant. We wanted to create a fucked up game. Yeah. <laughs> Co-writer and lead level designer Christian Cantamessa said, quote, We want to create a game that delivers a scathing social commentary on media voyeurism, the peddling of violence as entertainment, and the inbred inaccuracy of the American penal system. They want to hit a lot of stuff. Big time. We will we will say whether they hit all of these things or even some of these things later on, but worth keeping in mind, I guess, that even in late September, they are saying there is more to our violent video game than just violence. I suppose Mm. is is what is the message they're trying to convey. All right, so that's your first part of the pre-launch press coverage because. The next bits are actually post-launch press coverage. There's no way you can talk about Manhunt and not include this stuff. So, and we're going to have a bit of quote-ception here as well, because I'm going to get Adam and Josh to quote things for me, but there will be quotes within the quote. We're going to give it a go (laughs) and we'll see how we get on. So firstly, an article posted to IGN on the 12th of December 2003 And this article was simply titled New Zealand Bans Manhunt. Josh is going to start off by uh, reading an excerpt from the article. Quote. New Zealand's Office of Film and Literature Classifications report says the game depicts horror, cruelty, crime and violence in such a way that this game is likely to be injurious to the public good. This is the first situation in which the uh, Office of Film and Literature Classification has banned a video game. Uh, But according to Bill Hastings, the chief censor of the OFLC, Manhunt goes further than any other game. Hastings said, It's a game where the only thing you do is kill everybody you see. The only way you can accommodate the game's images is by an attitudinal shift You have to at least acquiesce in these murders and possibly tolerate or even move towards enjoying them, which is injurious to the public good. Right. From what I found, so I really hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but if you were in possession of a copy of Manhunt, just you have a copy, Mm -hmm. you have obtained it through whatever means, 
that was deemed to be a breach of the law in New Zealand. <laughs> Crazy. Again, I hope this is right. I believe it is. But on the 19th of January, 2023, Manhunt finally got an R18 rating in New Zealand. What? That's amazing. 20 years later. In Australia, Manhunt initially had an MA15 plus rating from the Australian Classification Board, but the game was banned then in September 2004, which was by that stage almost a year after it went on sale. So all unsold stock that was in shops had to be pulled from shelves. Mm. And also the game was banned in Germany in July 2004 because of its, quote, representation of violence, end quote. Now, before we get on to the next thing, I presume we'll get to Manhunt 2 at some point. But in terms of like games that were vilified, like this is the first time Mm. this has happened on Stealth Boom Boom, where you were talking about, and it's probably, it's not going to happen too many times, where a game was actually banned, where they were like, nope, This is injurious to the public good. It doesn't happen often. Now, these next few articles, I mean, talking about things we don't talk about much on Stealth Boom Boom, thankfully, uh, these next few articles all link together and tackle something very serious. They tackle a death, uh, a murder. And again, I'm going to have Josh and Adam quote for you lovely listeners here. So... There's an article published in July 29th, 2004 on IGN and the article is titled Manhunt Pulled from UK Shelves. And here is an excerpt from the article. Quote, Various news sources reported today that UK electronics retailer Dixon's has pulled Manhunt from shelves in response to the game's alleged influence in a recent killing. In a UK court yesterday, 17-year-old Warren LeBlanc pleaded guilty to murdering 14-year-old Stéphane Bakira. According to reports, LeBlanc brutally killed Bakira using a claw hammer and knife. LeBlanc was apparently uh, obsessed with Manhunt. Uh, We contacted Rockstar Games for comment on the situation and received the following statement. We would like to extend our sympathies to the Bakira family. We reject any suggestion or association between the tragic events and the sale of Manhunt. There is a clear certification structure in place and Manhunt was clearly classified as 18 by the British Board of Film Classification and should not be in the possession of a juvenile. Rockstar Games is a leading publisher of interactive entertainment geared towards mature audiences and markets its games responsibly. Targeting advertising and marketing only to adult consumers ages 18 and older. Rockstar Games submits every game for certification to the British Board of Film Certification and clearly marks the game with the BBFC approved rating. We have always appreciated Dixon's as a retail partner and we fully respect their actions. We are uh, naturally very surprised and disappointed that any retailer would choose to pull any game. According to a BBC article that was published on the 4th of August, retailers that chose to continue selling Manhunt, such as HMV, reported that demand had, had, quote, according to them, significantly increased in the week following the ban at Dixon's. In the UK, the game was also pulled from shelves uh, from the shelves of Curry's, PC World, Game and Virgin Megastores. And speaking to the BBC in that article, the HMV spokesperson called Gennaro Castaldo 
said, quote, interest in Manhunt has significantly increased for all the wrong reasons. It's flying off the shelves. The great irony is that since it came out last year, sales of Manhunt had been negligible. People who had never heard of the game now want to buy it. Many think it's going to be banned and that lends a certain cachet. That's the end of that quote. That comment is very callous. Yeah. So, so callous. Given that the reason for the game's uptick in sales is clearly down to its connection to the story. That is, when I saw that quote, I was like, that's not nice. Mm. I have another article here. Sony to be sued over manhunt murder. The only place I found this was this like a law firm, this kind of blog that they have, Pincent Masons. It was posted on the 2nd of August, 2004. And here is an excerpt from that article. Quote. The Bakira family has hired Miami lawyer Jack Thompson, a crusader against violent entertainment, to sue Sony Computer Entertainment and Rockstar Games. According to the Times, the lawsuit will seek £50 million for wrongful death. The Times reports that Thompson sent a warning to Rockstar before the murder, warning it that Manhunt would incite copycat behaviour. He argues that Sony should share responsibility for allowing the game on its platform, which is played by children. Jack Thompson. That is a name that will come up again in the future if or when, I mentioned earlier, we get around to Manhunt 2. Mm. But essentially, he was a lawyer. He was eventually disparred. It's, it's worth noting. But he was a lawyer slash activist, I guess, that campaigned mm. for, firstly against rap music, uh, but more famously video games. Yeah. And in America, he was the face that would pop up Anytime the topic of violent video games was hmm. in the zeitgeist in the late yes. 90s and into the 2000s mostly. Mm. In that article I just had you read out from, Josh, there's uh, this bit at the end. So, quote, Thompson is already representing the family of a man shot by two boys who were supposedly emulating another violent game, Grand Theft Auto. That US action is against games company Take-Two Interactive Software Incorporated, the parent company of Rockstar. It, it, it was Thompson's thing, basically. Yeah. But something I found interesting. So on the 5th of August, Thompson spoke to IGN and he said, quote, The London Times reported that we filed a lawsuit. That's false. They even made up a headline and the dollar figure. We demanded a retraction from the Times. The writer simply made all that up. No determination has been made whether or not to file a lawsuit. My purpose is to assist Ms. Pekira. There are some things that are in place that I'm not at liberty to talk about that will turn up the heat tremendously on the industry. A lot's happened over the last several days, but filing a lawsuit isn't one of them. And there hasn't been a determination to file a lawsuit. End quote. The final article on this story from gamesindustry.biz posted on the 4th of August 2004. And the article headline was New Twist to Manhunt Murder Allegations. The article, a little excerpt here, is as follows. Quote. A spokesperson for the Leicestershire Constabulary, the police division that was investigating the murder, said. The video game was not found in the murderer Warren LeBlanc's room. It was found in the victim Stefan Pakira's room. Leicestershire Constabulary stands by its response that police investigations did not uncover any connections to the video game. The motive for the incident 
was robbery. So in the end, it was determined that the 14-year-old LeBlanc murdered the 17-year-old Pekira over a drugs-related debt. So that IGN interview I mentioned just a moment ago, in that Thompson refuted claims that the copy of Manhunt belonged to the victim. He said it, it had belonged to the murderer and that it was left at the victim's house. Uh, th- there's a lot of stuff in that interview. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the day, any potential case that could have uh, slash was brought against Rockstar and Sony was dropped. If if it did, Thompson disputed it. But that ended the story, which first gained steam really in, can you figure it out, dear listener? Yes, you have it. The Daily Mail. When they went with the detestable headline, Murder by PlayStation. Fucked. Totally fucked and irresponsible. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about Manhunt, you do have to talk about this when you're doing a, a deep dive. But ultimately, the police, as we just said in that quote, they found that there was there was nothing to the claim that Manhunt was the reasoning behind this. But yes, that is some pre-launch marketing and some pre-launch press coverage and some post-launch press coverage of Manhunt. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk to you, dear listener, about our opinion on this very game. So we'll be back in just a sec. All right then. So this is the part of the podcast where we tell you our opinion of Manhunt. But just before that... Indeed, we tell you our knowledge of the game before we played it for this very podcast. Adam Carroll, tell us your knowledge of Manhunt before you played it for Stealth Boom Boom. I think I would have played it around uh, like a friend's place. But to be honest, it it wasn't enough time to like think, did I like this? Did I want to see more? I think I was just like, okay, cool. I do remember thinking that Manhunt looked interesting and dangerous, but I don't remember ever playing it. Maybe like you, maybe there was a friend, maybe. But I, I, if I did play it, it, it was only for a short period of time. And as I say, it's not like I wasn't playing 18's games. I had played Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. I played all the Grand Theft Autos up to that point. However, we have one man here who did play Manhunt. Who is it? It's me. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. And it was and it was very cool and and all of the uh as as horrible as it is, um all of the control when you were kids on the playground and stuff, you know, buying video games back in the day, all of the controversy and the horrible oh my god, this game inspired real for it created this horrible like cult of personality and it and it was, you know, for stupid kids, terribly exciting. I played it around my friend Ethan's house and uh I was I guess repulsed, but also sort of fascinated and because when you're an idiot kid, anything that's like got eighteen on it is really cool. And there was all this legendary yeah. stuff about, oh my god, it's like ridiculously violent. And I remember the executions and stuff. Um and it it did have like a real power, like that. The, there is something uh, 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 when you're at a young age, I think, and with some people, it can be movies as well. Like violence has an incredible power, I think, uh, when it's 
when you have that idea of, oh, I'm doing something I sort of shouldn't be doing. Uh, it's an 18, or, you know, I'm watching Dirty Harry for the first time or whatever the hell it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's like playing Manhunt was like, oh my God, like that's the fucking shit. That's the stuff. It's, it's violence. It's terribly cool. Mm-hmm. And then of course you grow older and you, you have to sort of come to terms with that and think, well, uh, why did I think that? Why? But yeah, super familiar with it. Our local like... um uh, retail store that I talked about a few times here and um, with Seven Columns on any extravision when they had it they would go that one little step further and put the yellow sticker across the front of the box that would, that would say strictly over 18s <laughs> so we have played it over the, the past fortnight and we have opinions uh, which is why it's quite handy we have this podcast and this review section so typically our reviews are split up into different sections we first talk about the stealth of the game how sneaky it is then we talk about the boom boom which is the more explosive bits of the game or if there are kind of other aspects like puzzle aspects or blah 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 things that aren't sneaky basically then we talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area that stood out to each of us. It doesn't have to be the best or the worst. It's just the one that stood out to each of us for whatever reason. Then we talk about the story, the characters, the voice acting, if there is any, and there is some in Manhunt. And then we have a little miscellaneous section where we just add anything that doesn't fit into any of the other categories. But even before we get on to that... Some of you at home may have not played along. So let me give you, I gave you the pithy, what is Manhunt earlier? Now I will give you the more in-depth one. So it is a third-person stealth action game that's split up into 20 different missions or levels. So missions, levels, word is interchangeable uh, in the case of Manhunt. And in each one, your common goal is to kill enemies as gorily and as violently as possible. Once you've completed a mission, you are graded on your performance in said mission. And as I said, yes, the more gruesome your kills, the better your overall score is at the end of each mission. However, as well as murdering people with baseball bats, machetes, plastic bags, and a whole host of firearms it must be noted that you do have to be a sneaky murderer. And I know we're going to talk about this in a sec, uh, and I mentioned it earlier. It is quite Splinter Cell-like in that you use the shadows to conceal yourself, and then you strike when the baddie isn't looking, and then you do that again and again until you've completed each level. And that is basically Manhunt. So let us now start off by talking about the stealth of Manhunt. And I think looking at the dock here, myself and Josh are on the same wavelength and say that Manhunt Stealth, dear listener, it's not fancy by any stretch of the imagination, but my God, is it dependable? And sometimes, sometimes that's nice. I'm thinking about Far Cry, which we did um, (laughs) the pod on three episodes ago. Mm. where you're never too sure if enemies can see you from certain distances or in certain environments. Or, you know, there, there are other examples as well that we've looked at. I think even it was something you said about Arkham Asylum, Adam. Like, Manhunt mm. teaches you the rules early on. And you know what? They do not deviate from those rules. To explain, in Manhunt, you have a GTA 3 looking radar in the bottom left of the screen. Uh, however, you don't have the layer of the world in the radar 
it's actually quite far cryish in that regard. <laughs> All you see is a dot that represents you and then dots that represent your enemies when they are within a range of your radar. In fairness, I don't think that range is ever specified. So, you know, there, there are some things maybe it's not rigid about um, or at least communicative about. Uh, so while you don't see an enemy's vision cone on the radar, you are able to see what way enemies are facing as well as their awareness to you. So if they're yellow, they're unaware. Orange, they're suspicious. Red, they're going to fucking kill you. But shifting gears slightly, because this is where Sam Fisher comes in. And to hear our thoughts on the original Spinter Cell, go back and listen to our episode from the summer, a couple of months back. But we're going to be mentioning Splinter Cell quite a bit for the next couple of minutes, I think, because James Earl Cash, it's a lot of similarities there. A lot of similarities with him and, and Sam Fisher. He's not as acrobatic. He can, <laughs> however, step into a shadowy bit of the world. And when he does, he is completely safe. And in fact, Adam, you came to my mind with this because I remember you saying on Splinter Cell that you had some issues with the visibility meter because mm. that's a bit more fluid. Like there's a marker on the visibility meter and it's not just like yes or no. It can be a quarter full or three quarters full mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Like in Manhunt, it's binary. You are either in the light or you are in the dark. If an enemy is right in front of you when you're standing in the light, he sees you. That's just, that's it. When he's right in front of you and you're standing in the shadows, he can't see you. And like, I want to stress, it isn't sexy. You don't have an arsenal of weapons or gadgets. You're not f flexible, as I said. But like Manhunt Stealth, it will not fail you. If an enemy sees you, nine times out of ten, you are at fault, not the game. And I'm only saying nine times out of ten just in case. Like, I don't know, maybe I'd say nine by nine out of ten times. Of course, if you are spotted and then an enemy sees you running into the shadows, then they are still going to see you. Apart from that, though, if you go into the shadows when you're, uh, when you're not seen, you are safe. I've only touched on the visual element that I think works an absolute treat. But I know you kind of want to talk about that as well, Josh. But also, you want to talk about how sound works, which is something I haven't mentioned. Yeah, which I which I think it works very very well. I, th I and I should say we, we've it's almost like we have to make sure that we pray. I know you've touched on it already, uh, Cullen, but I just want to praise Manhunt unbelievably so because and and you you're right. It's very it's very formulaic, and you know the rules are the rules, and if you're seen, you're seen. If you're not, you're not. And you always know what's going on. But we, we, I've just got to stress how that's just way less common than it should be. And good stealth games, you've you got to have enemies that are like creatively dumb, like enemies that make the player feel empowered by being dumb in a good way, you know? And I hate it when developers get like, they don't do that in a good way. Like they, they, they'll like, oh, like Ubisoft are terrible at that, where it's like, yeah, you're hidden, but we're sort of going to make the guard like patrol way more than he normally would because he kind of knows you're there and it becomes a bit of a game of peekaboo. Manhunt, brilliant. Verge is on the, on the kind of almost boring thing, but you would always rather it come down on that side than they try to do some silly thing and fuck it up. Like, yes, it's a little boring, but it's damn rigid and that's great. And yes, the, the use of sound, I think, in Manhunt just all round is excellent um 
there's a real because it slows you down. You can't. You, you can run in Manhunt when sometimes you kind of want to run because you're spooked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, really drives home uh, the walking and how important the walking is, and you feel really, really heavy uh, with cash. And if you you have to be wary of who can see you and who can't. So light and shadow important. But the sound uh, is excellent because you can. Uh, well, really, your main tactic in the game uh, can be uh, causing distractions using sound in order to pull guards out of their normal patterns and configurations. So my sort of top, like, favourite thing to do, I guess, is you just get a little glass shard or a, or a weapon, or even just your fists, and just sort of thump a wall. And you sort of see on the on the radar, you get a little ripple and you're right, it's not the most helpful radar in the world. It gives, it sort of, it lets you know, like, oh, you just made a sound and here's the bubble, but you, you, you don't really, you can't really tell the exact range of anything. But you can sort of, you thump the wall, you lure a guard in, you stay in shadow, he peeps into the shadows and he's like, what the fuck was that? And you just kind of wait a second and then he gets bored and turns around and then you kill him in a, in, in, in a very, very grisly way. And also... None of us will have done this, but uh, shout out to the to the PS2 headset peripheral, which was used for uh, SOCOM US Navy SEALs oh, and, yeah. and basically <laughs> fuck all else. Like, um, but but Manhunt did use it, and it was really funny. And I remember my friend Ethan had it plugged in. He wasn't wearing it, and. Nor was I, and I was I was watching him play, and neither one of us realised that our talking. And I think at one point I yelped or shouted, and it actually spooked. It drew in one of the guards, and he realised that oh god, I've left the the things plugged in like you doing that. That was a real mind blowing moment. Like me, and you could also if you were wearing the headset, you could sort of like. Not whisper, but like say something quite quietly, and the guys would be like, "What? What? What was that?" You know. So that's 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 great. Um, again, maybe a little boring, and you know, f- fair enough. You could you could you could throw that at Manhunt. Very very rigid, very very formulaic. But there's enough games that ain't, and there's enough games that fuck it big time. And to just have a really legible and clear understanding of light and sound, um is fantastic and it and it's still it's when i returned to manhunt years later it was always one of those things about manhunt that i I thought oh it's sad in a way that the conversation is only ever going to be about this game's violence and that's understandable because it's its main feature really because the thing is it's actually a really functional and really defensible stealth game and i'll always have time for that but no one will ever talk about it in those terms except for us on stealth boom boom here today i'm going to piggyback off of something that you mentioned, Josh, because yes. what you said about going into the shadows, battering a wall, getting an enemy to come out, they'll check the noise, they get bored, then you whack them and then bring their body into the shadows. That's the strategy of Manhunt. <laughs> that is it. You do that again and again and again. You do also, in fairness, you do also get items that can be used as lures, like... Um, I don't think you mentioned this, Josh. Like you can get a brick or a bottle. Yes. Delightfully, you can get a human head <laughs> and then you can lob them at an adjacent wall if you wish, which will also draw the guards using the sound. But what, this, the strategy that Josh laid out perfectly, like 
that's the one I employed most of the time. And I will repeat, I fucking really enjoyed it. Like, yes, it, it is the same thing over and over, but it's, it's still quite comforting, like a clicker game or a match three. And I don't know, I, I, I think the fact that it's so achievable, but that there is still some tension there between the enemy turning their back to you and you killing them. Mm. Like those couple of seconds where, and it can happen, those couple of seconds where the enemy's patrol doesn't work in your favor and they turn around and spot you. That tension, it adds to that strategy and it doesn't kind of make it boring, even though I know you use the word boring, Josh, and I know why you use the word boring. Like, I like it. I like it, you know, repetition in games, it can irritate or it can dole out a a little dopamine hit. And I must say that for me, Manhunt is the latter. Look, I think it's okay. I think the the hiding in the shadows and all that kind of stuff, it's okay. I think we're being very nice. Very nice mentioning Splinter Cell within this game. I have to say that. No, but surely it's it's the it's the light and dark. Yeah, but there's a far, far, far sillier setup happening within Manhunt's stealth aspect here. Like there are moments where the enemy is right. Like I could literally just touch with my my little finger out out on there, and there you are. There's the enemy, and they don't notice you. They don't like. I just wanted something. A little bit more f- to make that risk happen. I felt when I knew once I was in darkness, I'm fine. There is nothing else to be worried about here because the enemies also give up so quickly, like insanely quickly. And it, that, that kind of form, as you were saying, like then you go out and you sneak out and you, you kill them. It just gets so repetitive, like for me personally, which is like, now the game does change later on but I have to say like for the early part of this game for at least the first half anyway it's a lot of just doing that when I finished this game I said I'm gonna see what the story is with the hardcore mode and I threw on that for the first four or five missions right because when you put on hardcore mode you then have no radar ah okay and I thought then the tension was far better like that's obvious like because it's you can't see what the enemies are but in terms of just like making your movements a bit more kind of like riskier this was more exciting for what it was because like even using the whole strategy of like slapping the wall with the baseball bat or something like that and you just see the the goofiness of the enemy going oh son they're coming they're running along towards you and then they just don't even bother checking out the dark side I'm just like ah fuck off I'm like it's it's fine. It's just not enough. Josh, you saw the Splinter Cell Manhunt connection. Yeah, and uh, and and I, I I do agree. Like I do uh, like with uh, with Adam. Like I think I you know we make the comparison. I think we make it for, for you know for, for justifiable reasons. But it is a kind it is a kind comparison in terms of sort of technical tricks. Splinter Cell is a lot more in depth, and this is a more much more simplified version of it. But I do think this it's what it does share with Splinter Cell even though it's, it is a lot more simple, is, is that sort of central idea that was done very well in Splinter Cell where you're the hunter and the hunted and there's a, there's a lovely uh, seesaw that kind of goes on as you play and, and, and those roles sort of, uh, sort of dip up and down as you go because 
you are obviously you're going after these people and you're the sort of you know creature that lurks in the shadows if this is like a horror movie you're the one that's going after them but if you get found you get absolutely battered so you do have to be careful and w- what i like is there's a couple of things i i i like the fact that uh, you have to when you're going to kill someone you hold the the button down uh, to get the more grisly executions that that tension there i thought i thought was good because you 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 are the hunter but the longer you sort of hold down the button to do it uh, you, you're sort of you're watching the clock going oh do i you know do i dare do this thing because if i get found out it's all over but right now i'm the aggressor right now i have the upper hand and i just think it does a really good job of getting you to kind of flirt with that and that there was that that was a sort of splinter cell connection for me it was very much well i'm you know i'm i'm sam fisher and i'm doing stuff in the dark and i can see in the dark and they can't um so (laughs) so i'm in a position of power but it's a very sort of, it's a glass cannon position. It can all come crumbling down in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think and, uh, also, I think the other thing that sort of um, both games kind of share is uh, in very different ways, again, but the atmosphere and the way that the atmosphere feeds into the stealth. Because I do think that in both, there's, there's what's going on mechanically and then there's what's going on outside that that enhances those mechanics or maybe makes them feel a little bit more than they are. And that's, that's what's great in Manhunt. There is a kind of chill to it, a kind of fear element to it, where you are looking around going, oh, this is fucking horrible. And if I get caught, I'm going to get <laughs> killed horribly. But, and so the, it, it, it does flirt with, I know one of the rockstar people described it as urban horror. I think that's a really good description because it does have that slight, feel of of a horror stealth game you know we're not talking full-on out outlast territory here but just that you know yeah so you mentioned uh something about the violence josh and the the, the executions of manhunt so in a lot of games the gruesome kills they come during the action like Doom's glory kills. Yes. Like, you know, they're your executions you're rewarded with after you've done enough damage in a shootout or you've, whatever it is, you get a super cool kill animation with blood and guts and gore and yeah, fatality. There's another one, Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Yes. Manhunt doesn't reward you with super kill cool animations at the end of a shootout. While there are action-focused sections of the game, we'll get onto in the next bit. Those don't end with you seeing something extra special. You just shoot bullets at the baddie and they fall to the ground or you fall to the ground whenever someone has taken (laughs) enough damage. Uh, The most brutal parts of Manhunt, it's glory kills, it's fatalities, whatever you want to call them. Uh, They come when you're being your sneakiest. So like we've laid out how you go about being sneaky, but I guess to really drill down on what happens once you kill a baddie. So... When you're standing behind an enemy, you have two options. You can either press the attack button, which kills the enemy, and you'll see an animation I'll get onto in a sec, or you can hold down the attack button, which will open up more animations. So you're behind an enemy, you'll see an indicator that is telling you that you're within execution range, right? And if it's white, that kill will be relatively quick. 
That's just the def- default attack. It, it's called the hasty attack. You hold it down for a little bit and that indicator turns yellow, which means Cash will perform a more vicious kill, which is called a violent attack. You hold it down longer again and the indicator turns red, which is the most extreme kill animation you can see, and that's called a gruesome attack. And like each melee weapon, they all have three different kill animations. I made note of this because I wanted to remember it, right? But for example, a very common weapon is the plastic bag. I mentioned it earlier, and that's probably its own conversation about a plastic bag being a weapon. We might get onto that. But the three different kill animations for a plastic bag. The hasty kill, that sees Cash suffocate an enemy from behind. That's it. The violent kill, that sees Cash put the bag over the enemy's head from behind, then swing them around and Cash will start kneeing them in the face and then they'll die. And the gruesome kill, that sees Cash put the bag over the enemy's head from behind, swing them around and then start repeatedly punching them in the face and then he finishes the job by breaking the enemy's neck. So it escalates in terms of gruesomeness and and violence. And off the top of my head... Uh, Sniper Elite, that is a game that rewards sneakier kills, I suppose. Uh, I think it's just when you're being sneaky. Like, if you, you know, if you pop an enemy from afar, you'll see that bullet go through the brain or the balls or whatever part you've shot of the baddie. Um, now, the modern Sniper Elites are probably a good example when it comes to brutality as well, because... And I don't know if we properly kind of drill down, and I guess this is the part where we do that. Like Manhunt is a 20-year-old game. And mm. because of that, these kills look, to my 2023 eyes, kind of normal, for lack of a better term. Like I've mentioned a couple of games that have like way more like gory, bloody, savage, vicious kills. Like, Manhunt, in some ways, now, feels a bit run-of-the-mill. Huh. I'm, I'm not saying every kill is fine whatsoever. It's just, like, they, they are certainly vicious, even using the ones I mentioned with the plastic bag, or, yeah, just the fact the plastic bag is a weapon. That is nasty, nasty stuff. But the models aren't terribly detailed, obviously. We're talking about a 20-year-old game. The blood looks like kind of Teletubby's Poe red. <laughs> the, the executions are obscured, deliberately with this VCR static on the top and the bottom of the image, as well as you get like tracking lines running through the animation as well. Basically, what I'm saying is that you're not seeing a 4K photorealistic man kill another 4K photorealistic man. Yeah. And perhaps that says more about me than the game. And I am desensitized. (laughs) Like, I think we should table talking about the whole manhunt as a commentary on video game violence thing. We'll get to that in the story section. But like, Josh... What, what what did you think of the, the violent executions that occur after you've been a sneaky boy? So I, I, I would say that for, for, for me, I totally see what you're saying on, on uh, the graphics front and on the sort of portrayal of them. Um, and there are certainly modern games that have way more uh, g- graphically intricate and well-realized violence. The fatalities in the, in the newer Mortal Kombat's stand out uh, as being like, you know, particularly horrible. Um, Sniper Elite's a really, really good comparison. Just if you're looking at things that, that depict really awful stuff, uh, but that do it with 
uh, what is now a much more realistic lens than Manhunt. But I still find with Manhunt, um, even though the character models are outdated now, there is still it still has a strange power over me, and it is it's to do it's a couple of things. First, it's the weapons, and there is something about the nature of 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 the weapons that you're using. I know the BBFC is always really hot on this. It's the reason that specifically John Wick Two is the only one that's an eighteen rather than a fifteen, because at one point he kills someone with a pencil, which is interesting because some of the stuff in the other John Wick movies are way worse than that. But the BBFC has a real view to yes, but young kids and children and people in school they have ready access to pencils, mm-hmm. so how easily this can be copied, you know. So for me, there's something about the plastic bags and the shards of glass, and even something like the crowbar, where it still has a sort of a sense of domesticness, of ordinariness, where you're doing it and you just think, well, you know, it's not a big fancy rifle and it's certainly not magic as it is in Mortal Kombat or, or you know, the, 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 the Doom guy from Doom with his superhuman powers. It's very down at heel. It's very gritty. And I think also it's a little bit what I was talking about with the atmosphere. Um, there's just this sense in Manhunt of just... Um, cruelty yeah yeah yeah. which is funny because you know you talk about cruelty it's cruelty in the other games but you know we look at sniper elite well yeah it's nazis and and there's a war on and yes we're showing you these things but they are undergirded with a sort of sense of inbuilt morality well mortal kombat has a kind of level of detachment because it's about fantastical people doing fantastical things there is something in manhunt where what you're doing you look at those kills and it just still to me, um, is is different from those. There's, there's still now nothing quite like Manhunt. And I think it's, and it has to do with the sound design as well. Some of the, I don't want to know how they got some of the sound effects for doing what they're doing, but the, the crowbar kill in particular, even to this day, is just, you you use the straight end of a crowbar and, and drive it downwards into a man's skull and then you pull it back out and the sort of slop of the blood and bits I just even it's so vivid um I totally agree with you you know graphics have moved on and certainly looking at these PS2 character models you could be forgiven for sort of chuckling and thinking well that doesn't really look like but yeah, they, they, they still get me. <laughs> I, I get the domesticated nature, as you say, like a plastic bag being a weapon. Yes. Like how, yeah. how did you feel about it, Adam? Did you think, oh, this, this still holds weight and it's very gruesome? Do you think, oh, yeah, I am maybe a bit desensitised to it now? Um, it's a bit of it all, really. But like, I think if if I played it back in the day, I would have been very much like, oh, Jesus, that's, uh, that is what it is. But there is, like, there's like there's one of the kills, for example, with the baseball bat that, like, it's brutal, but it's kind of funny because he smacks the, 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 the other character into the head and their head just explodes. And it's kind <laughs> of... <laughs> It's so dark. It's it's it just it's kind of has this dark humor to that. But then, one that really gets me then is the the wire around the neck, and he he's just like tearing into the neck, and then the the head just falls off. That's still really grim, and you do kind of in your head go, yeah, it's as if that was today. Which is the thing about this game. Like the only the other night I was messing around in Red Dead Two again, so like seeing where Rockstar is now. 
to what they were doing back then. Like there was a challenge in Red Dead too, where I had to get through like three people um, and tie them up and lay them down on a train track mm. and have the train come along and kill them. It was the most violent thing I think I, I did in Red Dead 2. And it was really tough. And I, I don't know if it's, if that is just my, my age now that I go and go, Jesus Christ, that's, that's just, that's terrible. If Manhunt was to that level now, I would be insanely like uncomfortable playing the game. Like I, I, I think there is a mm. sign of like, like what you were saying, Josh, about the sound design and stuff. Absolutely agree. I think a lot of um, what makes Manhunt evil is the sound. I think it's actually the number one thing that still mm. stands to this this day. Like mm. it, it, it's music and it's overall sounds of the kills. They're horrible. Overall, the kills you see, they just get repetitive because you're doing them all the goddamn time and it's the same angle, it's the same kind of the VHS lens thing comes on and you've all that and you just kind of get over it like mm. after like maybe two, two three hours I'd say. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're just kind of like, oh, whatever, grind. Um, but yeah, some have more weight than others, but yeah, I, I, I would agree with you call them like that. I don't play it now and go, oh, that's so, so bad. We will talk about the violence more throughout and we'll get onto it in the story section. We'll probably even get onto it in the next section as well. But yeah, that is what we thought of the stealth of Manhunt. So we're going to take a quick break and then after that break, we'll be back to talk about the missions slash levels that stood out to each of us. And we'll also be back to talk about the boom boom of Manhunt. So we'll be back in just a sec. All right, then let us chat some more Manhunt. And first, let us chat about the boom boom of Manhunt, which is typically the more explosive, shooty parts of a video game, but also... It can be other aspects of the game as well. But in Manhunt, it's basically the shooty, more explosive bits. And the first thing I wanted to touch on was, you know, I spoke about having a melee weapon and approaching an enemy sneakily and etc, etc. Well, I wanted to talk about what happens when the enemy sees you, when you go toe-to-toe with an enemy, because a single tear rolls down my cheek whenever this happens, because it just, it pales in comparison to the game's sort of stalk and kill style gameplay. So when a melee weapon having baddie sees you, (laughs) he will absolutely leg it in your direction and he will stand right in front of you. He'll swing his weapon wildly until you or he is dead. And that's it. That is it. My first thought was Skyrim. It's the, the, the Skyrim type combat. Like Skyrim, oh, the world and all these things that stand out. Like combat in Skyrim, you come up against them. Um, was it Draugr? Is that what they were called? They come up against yeah. them and it would just be like whack, 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 whack. Like that, that's it. Like once an enemy sees you, they do not take their own safety into consideration at all. There is no flanking the protagonist or distancing themselves from James Earl Cash once they've taken some damage and they go, oh, I need to recuperate around the back of this shed. No, no, no. And most of the time, I suppose sometimes uh, the final enemy in an area will leg it 
once they know they're fighting a losing battle. But most of the time, enemies will have no regard for their own safety. Just none. They're going to run towards you and just swing their baseball bat like, insert baseball player here, Mark <laughs> McGuire. I remember him from The Simpsons and Steroids, and that's the reference I will use. You can grab an enemy and sort of lay into them that way. Like, you sort of, like, grab them, and you're, you're kind of grappling with them a bit. But I don't know. I, I found that was a bit fiddly myself. Uh, there is a blocking system. I should say that. But I will also add that I don't know about you two, I never used it because it seemed like my guard could be broken like that with enemies. I just, in comparison to the super solid stealth, the the kind of the, the action, and I'm not talking about, we'll talk about the gunplay in a second, just the melee action, it's just a big old meh for me. When it comes to the overall combat, it just has that, that old rock star feeling, and by that old rock star feeling, I mean like the GTA thing. When you're when you're running around, it still feels that kind of like comedic running. It's it's a bit weightless, as you said, Colm. It's all just like slap 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 slap, and all it's all you're gonna go for. The thing about it is, in the likes of even GTA, that's the least fun thing to kind of do is kind of just be running around like that. You know, it just. Until, like, you got to maybe, I suppose, GTA 4 and 5. But the, the older ones, it was, you had cars, you had planes, you had other things to, to get around in. So you weren't really that focused on this. In Manhunt, it's just you. You're just running around. And it's not very satisfying, is it? It's not, it's not enjoyable. Do not like. Do not like it. I don't know how you feel about that, Josh, but I do know... That you bloody love the guns. I'm in. I'm in agreement about the melee. Don't be doing it. Um, when it comes to the guns, yeah, I, I, I really love them. And the reason I love them, and it's it's it it's the same in um, the warriors, is that I think Rockstar they do a really really good job in the game of kind of saying uh, it's a tactile game. It's a game where it's all about hand to hand, not thumping folks because that's rubbish, as we've said. But uh, you know, working with your hands, killing people with your hands. When they introduce guns, uh, they are they have an amazing power, and it's really scary when enemies have got them, and it's really really empowering when you've got them. And they pulled the same trick in 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 the warriors, and I think that's about the only times they've ever done it. But in very few games I can think of are are just simple things like just a handgun. Um, really rarely are they given that sense of, oh my God, it's a gun. That's crazy. That's going to change absolutely everything. What does that do to this formula? That is really, really cool. Especially when they've just done GTA 3 and Vice City, where guns are very, very disposable and you get them very early on and they're actually very like weightless. It's great. I'm, you know, loving a bit of GTA, but the guns just have so much more of an impact in Manhunt and actually using them as well, by the way, like the, the feel of, of, of using them is kind of incredible. It's like, for me, it's like one of the more satisfying, oh my God, I've got a gun moment that there is in games, but like, yeah, they don't need to be super 
crazy BFG 9000. Just, just, you know, handguns, little six shooters and stuff. It's just that feeling of shit. This changes everything. Um, and to do that in a game where it's like fundamentally about not doing that, um, and introduce them in that way and sort of completely change the game. Really? Fair enough. Fair enough. Mechanically, it's a big gamble. And I guess you kind of risk alienating people unless, you know, you really like the way it opens up. But yeah, for me, big old thumbs up. And I think that's probably a good point to link to the next section. So that is what we thought of the Boom Boom, kind of, because we're going to continue talking about Boom Boomy stuff uh, here in the next bit, which is where we talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area of the game. That doesn't necessarily mean our favourite or our least favourite, but I think we might have all picked our favourites. Either way, it's a level that stood out to each of us. So Adam, tell the listener what level you have picked out and why. It is Steen 14 and it's called Divided They Fall. And it's when you finally meet the journalist that, Colm, you said has the name... Robin. Robin. But up to that point, I did not know her name at all. And I think... Up to here, for certain, I was just like, where is this game going? Like, what what's its plan? Because I think, honestly, that I was just playing the same thing over and over and over. And I was getting very, yes, there are little, little objectives, I suppose, that you do every now and then in certain missions. They're not massively, like, advanced or anything like that, like, but... It's when you get to this point, the action just ramps up. And this is where it turns into Josh's love for the guns. And to be honest, for me, I'm the exact same because I was kind of super ready for just all out, just guns blazing now. And this is kind of what happens. And I think the story is well, it surprised me to this point because it's not like, look, let's be honest here, this story is, it's not everything. Like, but. I honestly, up to this this particular chapter, I was kind of going, like, what? Wait, wait, where's the story going? Like, what's? How is this going to end? And I was, when she came along into, it, I was like, oh, finally, we have some sort of like thing going on here. There's, I also think the the overall levels get better looking. Like, you get down into like a subway, you end up going to like some kind of mansion. You're out in the streets a bit more. It just, it just all starts coming together a little bit better. But my God. Does it just all of a sudden just go, do you remember all that stuff that you were doing in Kaiden Shadows? Forget about it. Now it's time to just fucking cause absolute carnage because <laughs> we're going to throw a rake of enemies at you. And that is what Manhunt ends up doing. And I think I welcomed it. It's not the best thing ever. And I can understand someone would say, I hate it when it did that because I like the old stealth stealth all the time. But I was getting sleepy, sleepy. So at this stage, I was like, finally, here we go. And I was kind of intrigued to see the reporter and what she was going to end up doing. But um, it's a completely different change in pace. But I, I absolutely welcomed us. I did not. I did not at all. I don't agree with either of you on the guns. I, I just, no, no, thank you at all. I was quite enjoying what this game was doing. Uh, I will say that, like, I do think the game needs to do something. And I, uh, it comes at an interesting point where it does turn the game on its head somewhat, which ties into, you know, 
the director, as I mentioned, about him wanting to end his snuff film. But it's kind of from that point where um, Cash becomes, yeah, more gun focused and whatever else. But I just, I preferred the, the stealth gameplay, which is why the level I have picked is Fueled by Hate, which is scene five, level five, the game calls them scenes. And this plays out like a lot of other levels. But for me, it felt like the level where I like really got Manhunt. This mission is the last mission with the skins, I think. Yeah. uh, Before you move on to the war dogs. Uh, The skins, as I mentioned, are the, the racist Nazi gang. So you're in a junkyard and like a lot of Manhunt, you're just, you're trying to escape. You're trying to get from A to B. Uh, you kill a few gang members and then you come across a path that's being blocked by a massive fridge, <laughs> uh, which is always good. I enjoy when that happens in games. There's a crane next to the fridge, but it's out of juice. So you know you need to get fuel for it. And then you can come back, refuel the crane, move the fridge using the crane, and then that'll open up the, pl- the path and you'll be able to complete the level. One thing I like about this level is that once you have the can of fuel, uh, you need to bring it back to the crane, obviously. Uh, but when you're carrying it, you're not able to attack. So it's it's an escort mission in a sense, but the good kind, because you don't need to worry about the person dying, uh, like an escort mission in the game involving a homeless man where you have to worry about him dying, which happens later on. So you can carry it for a bit, drop in the shadows, lure a baddie to, uh, baddie to you, kill them, pick up the can, do that about four or five times, uh, before you get to the crane and it's just it's just good fun going back to my assessment that the core stealth loop is just enjoyable without being flashy and then once you fill the crane up i mean i, I don't know if i can say that it's good but you can hop in the crane and move the fridge about and <laughs> loads of baddies will just come legging towards you start shooting at you wildly while you're in the crane and you have to kind of flatten them with the fridge like you're in a Looney Tunes cartoon and kind of try and use the crane to swing the fridge back and forth. I mean, the more I'm kind of saying about, yeah, I don't think it's very good actually, but (laughs) it's not terribly long and there is something to a sort of bombastic closing to a level which is all about being sneaky. Josh Wise, you have kind of picked... Even a, a different thing to both Adam and myself. So yeah, tell tell the listener what have you gone for? I went for the last level in the game, scene twenty, uh, and it's called Deliverance. And it has you you've gone all the way through, and you're gonna get revenge on Starkweather, the director who's been a, a bastard for a, for a long old time. Um, but before you do that. You're you're in his big mansion, and you are brought face to face or face to snout with Pigsy, <laughs> who is um hot, a, a nasty uh, person who wears uh, a pig's head for a head, um, and I think just like other meat. <laughs> I don't really understand Pigsy because it's not just a pig's head. I swear he's got like pig's skin, yeah, or is it like an apron or something? It's just, it's all it's all round horrible, and he's a cannibal, and he's all sorts. 
and it it, so it stood out to me for a few reasons. The, the one reason is I I love the lengths that the game goes to, um, to say Cash is horrible, and uh, you wouldn't want to meet Cash on a dark night, but we have to come up with some nutty shit to make Cash less deplorable as a character and mm. it kind of stood out to me with pigsy because pigsy it was the original like cash like he was he was the uh, stark weather's like original star of his mm-hmm. snuff movies and he's got sort of put out to pasture anyway the level has you, you're going after people pigsy comes after you and you have to and it's in this grimy sort of like it looks like a sort of tenement building with like wooden panels everywhere. And like you sort of going behind bits of broken wall and stuff like that. And uh, you have to hide from uh, Pigsy, which is, it's quite, it's actually quite freaky as well. Cause he kind of like sprints towards you uh, and makes these horrible squealing noises. Um, And you have to sneak, you have to creep up behind him and pull off an execution on him. And you have to do that, like, I think it's three times, which made me laugh, because it's the classic video game thing, the rule of three, the boss fight, whatever it is, you do it three times. It's it, it's and it's just funny, because it, it's not, right, Rockstar don't really do, like, bosses. Their, their games don't really allow for, all they really ever do is just, oh, that particular enemy had, like, loads of armour or something. I shot him, like, 20 times in the head, but the game just said he was a tougher enemy than normal. So that was quite funny. But also, it it was a good mission to pick because, for me, it brings together, like, a a few cool... Well, are they cool? I don't know. They're very atmospheric. Rockstar loves movies. Obviously, the mission is called Deliverance, and that is, like, a reference to the film Deliverance, where someone is uh, sexually assaulted... Uh, the famous thing from Deliverance is that someone asks someone else to squeal like a pig. Um, so it's kind of Rockstar tipping its hat to some seriously horrible stuff and saying, look, we've seen lots of movies. Um, and then it, it kind of ties into, well, it's, 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 not, it's not an awful lot smarter than that. It's just, oh, I see you've called it Deliverance and you've got a this guy actually is a, he's, he's got his pig's pig's head for a head and he runs at you squealing but it also uh has a lot of stuff it reminds me of i wrote down fincher D- david fincher and it reminds me a lot of seven i only watched it last week weirdly enough oh shit oh well there you go and it was very my overall memories of seven are always people standing in like broken down tenement buildings and mm. everything is very brown. It's a very brown film. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and this mission reminds me of that. It's you're stalking around in this place and you're just thinking like, oh, this is this is just the worst thing in the world. It's not where I want to be. And there's this horrible fucker coming after you. So sort of it, it, it ties a few different things together uh, with Manhunt. You've got... Uh, like the film influences the way the story has to go to try to paint cash in a, in a light where he's at least somewhat sympathetic deliverance scene 20 pigsy. That's my pick pigsy. I think for me, a lot of people could look at that kind of moment in the game and go, this is just fucking stupid. No, it makes no sense. It's kind of, to me, 
when we're talking about like the kills and things like that, like and how it's like, oh, do you know, for a game back then, it's not really standing up as being so intense now. Pixie did for me. I see, I do think like when Pixie comes around, I think the environment and the music, I'm just a bit like, oh, it's like, horrible. It's a bit yeah. horrible. It's just a bit <laughs> fucking horrible. And it's so manic that he's going around with the chainsaw and things and the fact that it's a boss fight. I, I totally agree with you. Like, it was between this scene and the one I picked that I was going to go for because I, I think the, the likes of Pixie is something I, I, I wish there was more of that kind of crazy shit throughout all of, all of the game. Oh, also, uh, he's, he's the only enemy in the game where he has uh, another sense. He can smell you. It's not just sight and sound with, uh, with Pigsy. If you, if you stay in the same shadow uh, for, for, for too long, then he will suss you out because he can smell you and it just adds a little element of, oh, a bit different. It's that snout. You see, yeah. maybe it is just a bipedal pig, a bipedal. Um, anyway, that is what we thought of the game's boom, boom, and the most noteworthy mission level or area that stood out to each of us. We're going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about other things relating to the video game Manhunt. All right, then, this is the part of the show where we talk about the game's story, its characters, its voice acting, all of that. So why fix it if it ain't broke? Let us talk about Manhunt's story, its characters, its voice acting. And first of all, I wanted to touch on something that co-writer and lead level designer Christian Cantamessa said uh, the quote about them wanting to create a game that was a social commentary on media voyeurism. (laughs) Easy for me to say. Um, (laughs) So like there have been loads of games that have tried to attempt the the deconstruction of violent video games. Spec Ops The Line, Hotline Miami, Undertale, Last of Us 2. Some of those work, some don't. One of the issues that video games are faced with over other mediums is that you are in control. So like when a developer goes, for example, oh God, escort missions, they're rubbish, aren't they? Oh God almighty. And then they force you to do an escort mission as like a joke. <laughs> like that, that doesn't work. Unless, of course, you're trying to like deconstruct deconstructions but then I, you're going down a rabbit hole. Like, but anyway, it, it's a fine line to walk. Like the violent video game, that is also a commentary on how violent video games are. Because like, if a developer is pointing the finger at the player, whilst also forcing them to perform these violent acts to proceed in the game, then like something's gone wrong here. Manhunt doesn't fully work, but I do think it's a better attempt than some other games. And for a few reasons. Firstly, the protagonist, James Earl Cash. He, you know, not great for a lot of reasons, but (laughs) for this, he kind of is a benefit because he is a completely emotionless lad, totally stony-faced. He doesn't have much dialogue at all. And when he does have dialogue, it's pretty pretty one note. It's anger. (laughs) Now, 
uh, like I'm not excusing certain things about the performance of the character, but I I will say the cash being this stoic killer it does benefit the commentary on video game violence angle because like we spoke about the the ludo narrative deliciousness on our tomb raider episode but like that's no problem here while i'm not sure i'd go so far as to say i don't know maybe i would i don't know i was going to say like i wouldn't go so far as to say james earl cash loves killing I would definitely say that he doesn't mind killing. Mm. So like in many ways, he's happy to play Starkweather's games if it does mean that he's eventually going to get out of Carcer City. Like murder as a means to an end doesn't bother Cash. The executions you perform as well. It was mentioned when I outlined how the game plays for people that didn't play along at home, how you're graded at the end of each level um, on how well you murdered people. And yes, how many people you've killed is taken into account and how quickly you finish the level. But there is this style points section, which uh, accounts for part of your five star score at the end. And if you get enough high ratings, you're going to unlock bonus levels. There are four in total. So there is incentive to try and rack up those points and get the better ratings. Now, I've tried to find this online. I can't. So the breakdown of the rating system, it's not fully known. But I have seen conversations between like longtime Manhunt players who basically see it as you get more points for the more gruesome kills you do. This isn't like what I mentioned a minute ago. Like the game doesn't force you to kill characters horribly and then have a cutscene where the protagonist, James Earl Cash, looks at his blood-soaked hands and goes, why am I a monster? No, like the, <laughs> the game says kill these people as brutally as possible and we're actually going to reward you for that as well, all right? So thumbs up from everyone involved. Like... It goes so far in the other direction that it heads towards parody, kind of. Mm. But, I, but I'm also not entirely happy with that assessment either because there is still a reward for the player that is more vicious and bloodthirsty. Like, as I said, you get bonus levels and little bits of concept art and all that for the better ratings you get at the end of levels. Whereas, let's say, if you were graded but there was no actual benefit to it, well, then you could ask the player why they've been as brutal as they have been if the ratings don't mean anything. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, the ratings do mean something. You get more game if you if you violently kill. So it, it's tricky. And, like, I suppose I'm kind of working out my thoughts as I go along. Like, I, I do think Manhunt isn't a bad attempt at deconstructing video game violence. But... It's not a great attempt either. I my uh, hot take, or it's pretty cold now because it's twenty years on. I just think it's a uh, my hunch is that it's it's sort of bluster, really. And I know that sounds quite dismissive of um, what the uh, co-writer uh, Christian Cantamessa was was saying about about the game. But I don't really think um, that it's a, a scathing social commentary on 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 media voyeurism um it doesn't really say anything about media voyeurism and you know snuff films are illegal uh, so we don't really uh, is there is there a fascination with violence in media yes um 
but he, you know they're sort of talking about oh it's it's about the peddling of, of violence as entertainment well I don't really think that it is I think that Rockstar is peddling violence as entertainment um, and I, I think it's a, for me it feels like a little bit of a cop out to say uh, yeah but that's like totally what it's about man uh, I don't think that it is. I th- I think that they knew they would sort of court controversy, and I, and I think that the game doesn't really do much of a job of interrogating any of it. If if it's, it's as you say, Cullum, it's it it rewards you for killing people horribly. That's that's what the game does. Mm. I you know does 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 that critique our media? Not really. I not in my opinion. I mean, I think they had some mechanics and they had some shock, sort of sick nastiness. And I think they wanted to do that, and I think they do that very well. I'm not, I'm not uh, condemning them, uh, but I do think it's uh, a bit. Dis- I don't really believe <laughs> for one moment. I mean, the point where uh, I think Christian Cantemesso was saying, "Oh yes, it's a, uh, it's a scathing social commentary on the inbred inaccuracy of the American penal system." Well, I don't really know what you mean. If you're saying, "Have there ever been innocent people on death row?" Yes, of course there have, and of course that no penal system in the world is perfect. But I would very much like to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and have you explain quite how Manhunt manages that. It never comes down on cash uh, in any way. It doesn't confirm nor deny his crimes. He's given a false lethal injection and then woken back up again and asked to go on a killing spree. Quite what that has to say about the American penal system, I don't, I don't really know. Um, so that's my my take on Manhunt. You know, d- d- does it deal with games and violence? Well, I don't think it deals with it full stop. I straight up think this the story of Manhunt is, it's just pure violence. Start to finish, there's nothing else to it. There's nothing. They just wanted to create like this controversial thing. And personally, deep down, like there's just a very bare bones story, which is it's doing exactly what it says in the tin, I guess. Like, I don't know how much deeper they can go with something like like what it is. But like there are moments in the story where as brutally bland as catch and I do think what you're saying Colm like you said earlier about like how he is so one note it I can I can get that too like how he like it, it kind of adds to the to the the whole game and its atmosphere with him being so like like he is just like an absolute villain like and he's just murdering people around like he's hardly going to be having the crack and being like Duke Nukem or something you know but like at the same time there's there's scenes in the game where like his family get killed and for me it has no fucking weight like at all oh none like even though i love the pigsy character there it it could have been way more grim and way more menacing in 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 a way as well but like it's just it i can't say the story is pure rubbish it just is what it is i just don't know who wants to play this now? Like, who would want to play through this type of story? It just did do a whole pile for me. But what I will say is, um, I couldn't believe it because this only, I didn't know this before playing it, but uh, with Brian Cox being the director's voice, that for me <laughs> blew my mind. And that's coming off of off the back of Succession, obviously, because I never knew who Brian Cox was at all, if I'm asked, until Succession. And I think he is 
great. I think he's great in the game. I think he it's it's just fun to hear him. I would have loved a little fuck off or something <laughs> from him in it. He brings the most life, I suppose, to the story. Brian Cox, it, he is phenomenal in that phenomenal television show, Succession. But like, let us not forget, Cox had been in the movie business consistently since the mid-90s. I mean, he was there beforehand, Before, but like, yeah. he, but, but consistently mid nineties, I want to say he was treading the boards well before that he was winning awards as well. He's brilliant in succession, but his CV is outrageous. Like I, I went on his Wikipedia, obviously to, to grab a few films that he had been in prior to 2003, because I was expecting a phoned in performance. Like <laughs> he he wasn't a household name back in 2003 no doubt about it but by this point he was still after appearing in The Long Kiss Goodnight Braveheart Rob Roy The Ring he was in the Bourne films which is your connection to Sly Cooper and the Thievius Raccoonus right there <laughs> for longtime listeners of the podcast he was Hannibal Lecter before Anthony Hopkins in the movie Manhunter. And I think that is uh, another one of, of Rockstar being a bit, bit, I mean, it's another movie reference. He was, he was the original Hannibal Lecter, Manhunter, Manhunt. Let's get Brian Cox as the villain. Why not? That is a reference in itself and a very good one. The point I'm making is that I expected Bri- uh, Brian Cox to see video games as beneath him. Now, I would still imagine that Cox sees video games as beneath him. And I would wonder if even he remembers that he was in a video game in 2003 called Manhunt. But regardless of all that, what a fucking pro. What an absolute fucking professional. Like, this man definitely has the most lines in comparison to anyone else uh, in the game. But Jesus, he's also just so much better than everyone else. Like the the character of Lionel Stark Weather, not terribly complex. He's a sleazy director of snuff films, but like Brian Cox rings every last drop out of every line on the page. I don't want to say he's making chicken salad out of chicken shit, but (laughs) I mean, he elevates what is at best, at best, mediocre material and maybe I'm being a little bit nice um, I haven't had the chance to play many clip, any clips really on this episode so let's have a little Brian Cox supercut shall we? Not much to set up really other than this is Lionel Starkwater uh, weather as played by Brian Cox getting excited about seeing murder and just generally wanting to see more murder so take a listen to this warming up our audience nicely. Step it up a little. Give me some rage, for Christ's sakes. Move, your hairy ass. You're stacking those corpses up like it was judgment day. You're showing me some real psycho-style cash. I love it. Keep going, cash. Execute those worthless motherfuckers. You are a star, boy. A star. Oh. Jesus, Cash, that's the money shot. That's it, Cash. Work me up. God, yeah! 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 That's just gold. Like, as you said, like, Brian Cox, (laughs) he doesn't 
Uh, I don't know. He doesn't have to be doing. <laughs> he just needs to laugh out. He calls for us. He 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 believes in the project. He's a big fan of the project. <laughs> he gives it his all. He gives. It, he was like that in Killzone as well when he was a villain in there. He just goes mental. Goes balls to the wall. Josh, you wanted to talk about something I touched on earlier, which was how Rockstar linked the events of Carcer City to what was going on in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really really cool, and because uh, I. In terms of the, the the like story itself, I know we kind of said it, you know, it ain't much, but there is, I do always think Rockstar always does a really, really good job with kind of bigger stories, like environmental stories and sort of passive storytelling. And I love um, all of the stuff with like in, I remember in GTA 3, there was always, uh, when you were listening to the radio, that game came out in like 2001 and... I remember playing GTA 3 and one of the news items on the radio was that uh, the anchor says, oh, um, police chief Gary Schaefer um, in nearby Carcer City has been cleared of all corruption charges. And it was always this thing at GTA 3. You were just like, what? What, what is that about? <laughs> and then like two years later, they make this game that's set in Carcer City. And also one of the um, like tunnels, uh, I think the one just before Staunton Island, maybe in GTA three, um, there's a sign and it says like, go keep going for Staunton Island. And then off to the left, it says Carter city. Um, and I think number one, it just creates this really lovely, like I love Rockstar's kind of warped vision of, of like America. It's got like Massachusetts in bully and uh, uh, New York in Liberty city, obviously Los Angeles and stuff. But one of the things I, I always really like about this is that they do a really, really good job of Detroit, uh, which isn't isn't like done a lot in games, I don't think. Um, it's a really, really cool uh, look at if you see this, there's that movie It Follows did this really, really well as well. And obviously it's reminiscent of like Halloween. Um, it's that idea of like, oh, there was there was an industry here and now it's like dried up and it's fucked and loads of the buildings are derelict and loads of businesses went out of business. And it does a really, really kind of atmospheric look at that rust belt, at the problem with... And of course it's Rockstar, so it like completely warps it out of all recognition. It's like, yeah, this is not just Detroit. It's Detroit in your worst nightmares. People haven't just lost their jobs because General Motors shut down. It's like... No, people have turned into murderous killers, you know, <laughs> it's like completely mm-hmm. extreme. Um, and it's, it's a really like, it's their most fucked up place. It's their most exaggerated place, but it also feels like grounded and very, very specific and that their environmental sort of storytelling didn't really let up one bit because even though it's mental, you can imagine it fitting into that world. And obviously I know you mentioned earlier, you know, Stark where there's got that thing where it's like, oh, he was a, a producer in Vinewood before he, you know, failed and sort of came here. So it does that really, really well. I do quite like that. And also just cause, uh, th- this was, I think it ties into the, <laughs> the story and the writing and, 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 and it being, uh, I suppose maybe the game trying to be a, a comment on, something but i don't know what it's a comment on <laughs> um, like when when all of the ca- all of the characters in the game are uh, uh like named after serial killers and i remember that being a thing when i was a kid like uh gary schaefer 
is the chief of police in Carter City. He's named for uh, Gerard Schaefer, who was a, a serial killer in America, also known as the Killer Cop. And obviously Starkweather is, is named for Charles Starkweather, who is the, the spree killer in Nebraska. The leader of the War Dogs, Ramirez, is named for Richard Ramirez, the L.A. Strangler. And I remember that just being like... Uh, things like that, even at, even at a young age, I remember sort of thinking, what, they're just doing this to 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 be edgy. There's there's not much of a comment there, and they're tapping into American history and like American nightmares. But I don't know what they're saying. It might be atmospheric, but I can't pin down any one statement. I don't need to say much about my last comment here because you've basically touched on it uh, the naughty's edginess is a little bit much mm. it can grate <laughs> there are definitely parts of Manhunt where they're aiming for for cool and when I say cool I obviously mean you know the, the coolness that a teenage boy in 2003 would, would think is cool because mm. you know we're pushing boundaries man but yeah it's just, just a bit much basically so that is what we thought of the story so this is our little miscellaneous section where we mop up any additional things that we want to talk about and touch upon adam josh both of you played manhunt and now want a remake of the warriors yes um (laughs) i think it just with the gangs it just reminded because like the Warriors came out 2005 so two years later I know somebody might be going but Adam you just said that you didn't like the whole loosey goosey arcadey combat thing yeah I didn't and Warriors is quite similar but the thing about it is the aesthetic of the Warriors is just quality and it has more kind of structure and mission stuff going on and it's just it's one of those things where I was like it does have a similar feeling to manhunt with its gangs with its melee combat and things like that but um jesus the warriors is a great game and i would love a remake of it yeah i for me it definitely it when you play manhunt you can tell these guys really want to do the warriors and it is funny because i didn't know about the warriors until i played the warriors video game and then when i played that game i watched the movie but going back to manhunt it is just oh Shit, yeah. I don't know if even Rockstar knew it in 2003, but they wanted to make The Warriors. This is The Warriors, except it's even more post-apocalyptic and dark and fucked. But yeah, the themed gangs and just the whole mood of it, it's like The Warriors 0.7, only way more brutal. Combat is a lot better in The Warriors, I think, than it is here, but yeah. Good shit. (laughs) <laughs> Adam, something that you think is good shit is the music. Yeah, I said earlier that, like, I think really and truly it's the standout aspect of the game in 2023, I think. It's just, like, it brings everything to the game. Like, the the atmosphere, it, it makes the... I think this is what people are on about when they say the game is scary. I think it's really the music that's making it feel scary and because like what you're doing is so violent that the music really kind of adds to it even though it's very it's very simple but I do think there's a lot of um a John Carpenter influence to it there's like there's some elements of like um the stalk the stalking scenes in Halloween 
like the early points where Michael is just walking around the house and stuff and uh, there's Assault and Precinct 13 vibes going on as well. Um, but yeah, Colm, I think you have like a clip or two, do you? I do. You wanted from the sixth level in the game, Grounds for Assault. This is what you hear when uh, your enemies are suspicious of you uh, because the game does, it has a kind of a dynamic music system where they're like, there will be a track, but then that track will slightly change depending on the behavior of the enemies. So this is what you hear on that level when the enemies, uh, they know you're there and they're looking for you. Yeah, just just a one drone note of 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 a screech. There's there's quite a bit of like that kind of atmosphere throughout all of Man. Mm. The other song then that you're going to play is it's it's absolutely hilarious because when the credits roll, you get one song that's like rock and roll, rock and roll, Vice City era kind of like thing and it's like alright I guess let's just go with this and then there's another track that happens and I don't know what game this is for but it's certainly not Manhunt I don't know about you lads, but that's exactly what I'm singing when I'm putting plastic bags over people's heads. <laughs> that's for the game Man Hug. <laughs> that's it, it's actually this it's very stranger things. It's very kind of mm. that kind of yo, but it's so weird. It's like, what is this doing here? Actually, I like it though. I think it's a nice little bit. I wanted to chat about the atmosphere, and I don't have to go too long because you've kind of touched on this already, Josh, but I guess there is definitely something a bit manufactured about this world and there is some real video game-ass graffiti in here and I took a screenshot and I meant to text it to both of you but there's a wall that just has uh, uh, yeah spray painted on it. It just says, hide you shit, <laughs> which really <laughs> made me laugh. <laughs> uh, but like right. disregarding that wall art, uh, I just had to mention that. I think this world being manufactured isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, you know, you could say big, all the world's a stage and we're all merely players kind of energy, which does ring true in an, like, in an awful grim city where everyone is always being filmed and James Earl Cash um, is always performing opposite supporting cast of the gang members in Carcer City. Like, this is the place that America willingly forgot and it left to die. And it is dying. Like, with its crumbling buildings, violence on the streets, 
it's we mentioned the Warriors. You could put in like Escape from New York vibes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but on an entirely different note, what the fuck is up with that heartbeat? <laughs> um, what's 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 going on there? Tension. Always, always in this game, there is a heartbeat. Always. <laughs> My other half was hearing it from the other room. And, and she thought I was just absolutely mock at the game and I always had low health. But no, just for some reason, this game will... Shut up a second, please, character. Um, uh, for some reason, your heartbeat can be heard like all of the time. It doesn't get in the way per se, nor does it improve tension. It's just there. And I would like to know who made that decision and why. And that's it. Mm. It just, it, <laughs> I, I would forget it was there, and then I would stop for a second. I'd go, "Oh yeah, what's that about?" Uh, but yeah, that is what we thought of the game's story, the characters, the voice acting, and some other little bits we had to add at the end. And that is what we thought, basically, of Manhunt. So we are going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with a a portion of the show we like to call The Verdict, which is where, indeed, we give Manhunt a final rating. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then. As I mentioned, this is the part of the show we call The Verdict, where, indeed, we give uh, Manhunt a final rating. But before we give Manhunt our final ratings... We like to tell you, dear listener, what critics were saying about the game at the time. So, a couple of reviews here. First one is from Kristen Reed at Eurogamer, who gave Manhunt 7 out of 10. And Reed said, quote, When it's firing on all cylinders, Manhunt is a disturbingly entertaining take on the stealth action genre with the trademark high-quality rockstar production that masks some of its shortcomings. But scratch beneath its grimy surface and it's blighted by serious AI issues, repetitive gameplay and frustrating combat. Greg Kasavin of GameSpot gave it 8.4 out of 10 and Kasavin said, quote, Manhunt is an audacious game that backs up its extremely violent subject matter with a solid stealth action gameplay. Subsequent games in this vein could stand to learn a thing or two from how Manhunt successfully provides all the tension and grim satisfaction that this style of gaming can offer but does so without so much of the sluggish pacing and trial and error tedium that hurts other games of this type. A review on 1UP, the name on it is just 1UP Staff, but they gave the game a C and they said, quote, Playing Manhunt for me was a long process of debate over whether or not what I was playing was good art, good game design, or either of the two. Dan Shu, Damien Lin, and Thierry Nguyen of Electronic Gaming Monthly. Um, they all reviewed it, and uh, sort of a, the score is a 68 out of 100, which is an average for all of their reviews. And the quote I have here, to be read by Josh, quote, This kind of violence is one thing in a movie theatre, when the whole audience is laughing. But in my living room with my girlfriend looking at me like I just drop kicked a baby? <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> and finally, Alex Porter of Maxim gave uh, Manhunt 5 out of 5 and Porter said, quote, A subversive parody that cleverly indicts our depraved culture. If it makes you feel better about having a shitload of sadistic fun, 
Sure. So that is what all of the critics thought at the time. But none of those opinions matter. Certainly on this podcast, the only opinions that matter are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Manhunt. So how this works is that each of us will give Manhunt a rating and that rating is either a pass, a play or an espionage explosion. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. Or an espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. It's out of three. One, two, three. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. And we change the order of badge bestowers on each episode. And this week, the order is as follows. It is Adam, Josh and Cullum. So, Adam Carroll, what say you on Manhunt? Um, it's, it is shocking. It is controversial. It has its bits and bobs. It's not a poorly made game, but it's not a very exciting game either. And just, I think deep down, it's just not my type of game. Um, I'm going to say pass. Um, I didn't feel like I wasted my time. I'm just, I'm kind of okay for this type of game, I think. Josh Wise, what say you on Manhunt? I'd probably say it's a play from me. It's uh, very, very atmospheric. I think it's, um, it, I don't buy the media, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, commentary that they say that it has, but I think it, it shows you certainly where Rockstar was at that time and our own culture. I also think like it does, there is still nothing like it. And that is something. Uh, there is still nothing like Manhunt now. Uh, there are things that are sort of a little bit like some of it, uh, but there's as a complete package, it still has a kind of shocking power for me. That uh, and it's a bloody solid stealth game. I know, like that. That that counts for a lot. The the only thing really these days that comes anywhere close would be like The Last of Us Part Two in the. In, in in the way that the violence is depicted, and even then, it's it that is a very different kettle of fish as well. It's a play. So there are things that I mean, you know, it's it, the manhunt story. Is there are things I like, there are things I don't like. I do not like uh, the gunplay. I do not like the out out and out. I suppose baseball bat fights that you have with enemies. I do think that, or at least I think you can make an argument for it being a commentary on video game violence. Perhaps, like, you know, I don't think it's the best one. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, and I just think the story is a kind of non-event anyway, apart from Brian Cox. But damn it all to hell if this isn't a feckin' very solid stealth game. <laughs> I'm sorry to be a broken record, but just hopping in the shadows, taking out my baseball bat, whacking the wall and getting a fella to come out and <laughs> look me dead in the eyes as why, while I stand in the shadows, and but look straight through me, and then turn around, and then I give him a whack on the noggin. <laughs> it's pretty good. And for that reason, it's, it's sneaking in there. It is sneaking in there. You caught me on a good day, Manhunt. Uh, for me, Manhunt is, like Josh Wise, also a play. So, that is what we thought of Rockstar North's 2003 video game, 
manhunt. But put that to the back of your heads, lads. Never think of it again, god damn it. <laughs> because on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be looking at an entirely different video game. We are going to be looking at a game that Jeff Gersman of GameSpot called, quote, a unique and potentially interesting premise. Ryan O'Donnell at GameSpy said, quote, the single player experience is enjoyable, if not revolutionary. And Ben Silverman at Game Revolution said, quote, its presentation is definitely worth a look. And that presentation has definitely been the enduring thing for this game from November 2003. On the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting 13. Conventional wisdom says that I killed the president. And for all I know, I did. It all started when I woke up on a beach. I had no idea who I was, where I was, or how I got there. But before I could start hunting for my past, my past started to hunt me. Just when things looked the darkest, an angel appeared. A silent angel with the killer's instincts. I just hope she's on my side. I guess today's just my unlucky day. 13. It's been 20 years since we all set eyes on that cell-shaded first-person shooter. Josh Wise, did you play it 20 years ago? Or even, you know, it didn't have to be 20 years ago. Did you play it in the 20 years that it has come out? <laughs> I did. I played it back in the... Back, I played it when it bloody came out, yeah. I had it on PS2. Adam Carroll, am I right in saying you also had it on PlayStation 2? I Yeah, I still have it on PS2, but I don't remember playing it. I don't think I've played 13. I'm fairly confident I haven't. So we're going to play it over the next two weeks and then we will be back to podcast about it. You, dear listener, you can play along at home. You can pick it up on Steam. Um, Specifically, look for 13 Classic because I think the, the remake, the 2020 remake, is just called 13 so yeah, it's 13 Classic, specifically. I have both copies of the game. I may play a little bit. I'm going to try and play a little bit of the remake to see, uh, to just kind of contrast and compare, perhaps. Um, but yeah, get that played and then come back to us in a fortnight's time to hear us chat about it. But that just about does it for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course, you can subscribe to our lovely little podcast via all of your podcatching apps such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, etc, etc. We are there. Just search for Stealth Boom Boom and yeah, hit that subscribe button. Also, 
if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I think they're the only two that allow for this. But if if your podcast platform of choice allows you to review Stealth Boom Boom, please do. That does help. Five stars or thumbs ups or, you know, nicely worded reviews. That would be great. Thank you very much. You can also follow Stealth Boom Boom on social media at Stealth Boom Boom. And you can follow us. I am at Colum underscore O'Hearn. Adam is at Adam Zokes. And Josh is at Joshy Wise. And that now, dear listener, just about does it for this edition of Stealth Boom Boom. So this is the part of the show where I bid the listener adieu. Very sad, very sad. So say goodbye, Adam Carroll. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Josh Wise. Bye. And say goodbye, Colin Mahern Sloan. Go forth.